For almost three centuries, Sotheby's has been the place to discover the greatest stories of creativity. We've been the temporary custodians of some of the world's finest treasures, which you can see on display in our galleries on any given day. Welcome to Sotheby's Talks, the podcast that celebrates art, culture, and collecting. I'm Marina Ruiz Colomer, and I want to invite you inside the world of Sotheby's, a place where you can find the extraordinary, including contemporary art, old master paintings, rare books, jewelry, and memorabilia. I'm a specialist in Sotheby's contemporary department, and throughout my career, I have championed the work of female artists. In 2021, I co-organized the first cross-category sale of work by women at Sotheby's. In the last few years, we have seen the demand for work by female artists increase dramatically, but there's still work to be done. So on this podcast, we're sharing some of the conversations we've been holding with our experts, along with tastemakers, collectors, and luminaries from the world of art and culture. Marina Bramovic is one of our greatest living artists, an art world icon and a performance art pioneer. In 2023, Marina presented her solo exhibition, Afterlife, at the Royal Academy and became the first female artist in the institution's 250-year history to fill the entire gallery space with her art. I joined Marina for a conversation about her life and her work and what it means to be a female artist more broadly. Here's host Will Gompertz with more. Hello, I'm Will Gompertz. We're going to be discussing women artists. Uh, our participants are two marinas, so what could possibly go wrong? One curator, one an artist. Uh, the artist is, I'm delighted to say, Marina Abramovich, probably the foremost performance artist ever. I would say, a fantastic uh, performer who has been working at this particular genre of art since the 70s in Belgrade. And then, of course, building a career, first with Ulai, then as a, a solo artist. And then memorably having that e exhibition at the Museum of Modern Art, The Artist is Present, where she made performances are really central to the canon and led to things like the, the extension being built at Tate Modern around the whole concept of performance art. And really, no, that would not have happened without Marina Abramovich. Um, joining Marina is another Marina who is a senior curator at Sotheby's, curator specialist in contemporary art, Marina Ruiz Colomar. Uh, okay, so I think we should just get straight into it and get into the subject itself, which is the topic of gender and particularly female artists and, and what does it mean? So starting with you, Marina Abramovich, what does the word woman artist mean in the 21st century, if in fact it means anything? You know, I've been struggling with this question all my life because I've always been perceived as a female artist. But my statement is very simple and clear. I am female. I'm more female, but I'm an artist and art doesn't have gender. And I don't think it's important is a male artist, female artist, transgender, uh, homosexual, uh, gay artist, whoever, you know, black, white. I think it's really about, you know, art without gender. Art is the unique thing. And they only have two categories, good art, bad art. That's it. It's very important that we talk about contact and not about gender. But I suppose, Marina, it has been a factor in your life, and it's been a factor which has changed. The perception of the female artist has changed over the decades you've been working. To leave us at what point now, today? I think today is uh, the position of female artists is much better than before. 
I mean, they are very visible in the exhibitions, in the in the community, in the art scene, and also, you know, the the voice can be heard, which didn't happen before. So let's go back to the seventies. Let's go back to a very early work called Incision, nineteen seventy eight. I think you're working nineteen seventy eight. I think you're working with Ulai, your art partner and your life partner for, for many years. And one of the things I think that you you and Ulai were trying to explore and to a certain extent undermine were concepts around gender. Yeah, this was I, this is the work that I really chose for this conversation because it's interesting work because it deals really with the male and female in performance situation. Work is very simple. Ulai is tied with a rope, the rubber rope, and he's naked and he's going to the wall and he's bashing his body on the wall. And this is kind of painful experience and he's going all the time up and down and back to the wall. At the same time, I'm standing, dressed, not naked, in exactly on the most, in the farthest expansion that he can reach, and doing absolutely nothing. So the entire public emotions are torn to Ulai, and they hate me because I'm just observing poor men suffering. But they don't know that we actually organize this, that at the same time, I don't know when, the karate champion will come and actually throw me on the floor with the both legs in my chest, and I'm waiting for that. So my position is, is very tense, but public doesn't know, and all the feelings are to Ulai. And when this attack comes, you know, I'm thrown on the floor, and somehow the emotions of the public, and they are happy that actually I am being punished, and nobody come to help me. And at the same time, I take my old energy and, you know, strength and go back to the same position. But now the whole situation has changed. Because of that activity of the of the being you know being disbalanced, actually the emotions have been divided, and then after the the situation is when performance is finished, uh, we confront the public, and we told them that all thing was arranged, and the public got incredibly angry because they we play with the emotions, but at the same time the question is nobody come to help me, so it's a very interesting kind of work, you know, talking about male female interaction with the public. And the way you're dressed in that piece, Marina, you know, in, in trousers, slacks and a shirt, slightly androgynous, is that on purpose? Absolutely. First of all, there are two reasons. One reason, we live in the car. We didn't have any money at all. So I was mostly wearing the same clothes. So this is same trousers all I would wear, and same shirt he would, I would wear. So we, this was really also practical reason. But at the same time, I want something neutral, something really like, you know, man-like. And the karate kick, I mean, does he whack you for real? Very real. He was a champion of karate in, in Austria. And this, this old performance happened in Graz. And he really went with all force, with no mercy, and knocked me out. It was pretty hardcore, the, 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 the attack. And all this time, I've been really waiting for this attack to happen. And it was very important that I didn't see attacker because I didn't tense my body. I didn't know when. And... It was pretty shocking. It's shocking now, all these years later. How would it have been different conceptually if it had been the other way around? If, if you had been um, running towards Ulai, who was dressed and you were naked? Who knows? I have no idea, you know. <laughs> did you explore that? Did, 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 you, did, you think, did you talk about that way around? We, we, had a, we had another performance with actually, you know, it was the other way around with rest energy when we have Boy Nairo and it's facing my heart and not facing all my heart. So we explore these possibilities of changing. 
you know the the, the danger in a gender situation. Yeah, how how far along the road are we, Marina Ruiz, in in this process of uncovering lost uh, or underappreciated female artists? Are, I mean, are we halfway along it? Are we nearly at the end? I mean, you think about Hilmar Clip, you think about Artemida Gentileschi, uh, Berta Morisot, who was well known but in hardly any collections. How far along the road are we? Are, the, are we expecting lots more discoveries and, and almost to the point where we could see the canon rebalanced to something approaching 50-50? The hope is that, that yes, it will be rebalanced at some point. I, I do think that things are much better and there has been an intention and a, a want to discover, rediscover rather, uh, a lot of artists. There's certainly a lot of interest, what we can see from the auction house um, in in works by female artists. And slowly we're seeing them gain a bit of terrain when it comes to auction prices and demand. Uh, But I do feel there's still quite a lot of ground to cover. I need to say something about that. You know, unfortunately, in my life experience, I never saw good exhibition, important exhibition of female art or the feminist art that is a part of history of, of the of contemporary art. I never saw it. And this is really the huge problem. It's not that there are, many, there are not many good artists, but this exhibition never taken, had been serious and never been curated well. And there was always few good artists and many, many bad artists. So that gave this kind of feeling that was not important. And this has become yeah. like, a, you know, you put yourself in the box you know, female box or, or the, the, the feminist box. I always wanted to have it to be the part of the exhibition with, with an equal with a, with a male. Yeah. So what exhibition I would you like to see, Marina? I want to be, you know, another problem is the percentage. I think that we are doing very wrong about percentage. You're creating exhibition and then you have to know how many percentages black African artists, how many percentages transgender, how many percentages of women artists, how many percentages are the, the male artists. Again, we are doing wrong. We have to look into quality. We have to look into great work. We have to, you know, it's not just good to make something which is okay or good. It's not enough that something is just great. We have to make the work with a wow with something like when you look and say, wow, and this is female artist and is wow. And that we have this kind of work. We have to research, we have to work harder, and we have to be able to make this kind of exhibitions. Full of male, full of female, full with transgenders, full of everybody, but really great work. And the content is important. We always forget the content. I totally agree, um, but I do feel that the balance hasn't been quite equal, where there have been historically a lot of women who are brilliant and who have produced really fantastic work of great quality, but who haven't been exhibited, who haven't been written about, which is in a way why we do need these exhibitions now of amazing women of, you know, of the Hilma F. Klimt when her exhibition in New York was a huge revelation for so many people. And, you know, she has been around, she had been around for a long time. And it was the first time many people were seeing her work. And this happens with, with many other artists. Hilma Klimt herself forbids to show her work after her death 50 years later. So this is why we have Ilka Klimt she really didn't let her work be shown 50 years after her death. This was in her testament. Yeah, it was. It's absolutely true. Okay, Marie, let's go back to Marina Abramovich, back to your career, back to 1977. And one of my 
uh, Fableworks by you, which is in Ponderbilia, which is just, well, I just think it's funny as well as just is a great bit of work, but it's very mischievous. But it, it brings up the question of the female naked body. And in, in Ponderbilia, both you and Ulai are naked. What does it mean to be a, a naked female artist compared to a naked male artist back then or even now? The woman using her body in her art. We didn't do this because we are male or female artists. Our, our idea was completely different. We was invited for the, to show the performance art in the performance festival in museum in Bologna. So what we was thinking, you know, if there are no artists, there will not be museums. So why we are not the door of the museum? It's a very poetical piece. And to be the door of the museum, we are working together. So one is male, one is female. And to be naked is to be vulnerable and to be totally open. So we made the door of the museum smaller so that actually public could not go frontally, but they have to turn left or right side in order to face male or female. And we had a secret camera and the secret camera was showing when you go to the floor, to the upper floor, in the, actually with the choice you made. And uh, it was so interesting how many choices was made male female. And uh, on, the, on the end of the six hours, the police came and because we was naked and, was, and they asked us for our documents, for passports, which we didn't have. And then the police actually chose to face me one by one and forbid the show. But I think that time was really, we are talking 70s. It was such an easy thing to be naked. It, the performance artists in those days, you know, or they're naked or they're dressed in a dirty black or dirty white. It was the, the, the dress code in those days. I didn't feel especially that I'm female and naked. I just feel, you know, artists like a sculpture in the space and, you know, and being the door of the museum was a very poetical gesture. There's two observations I make. One is the majority of people passed with their, their bodies faced to you. And also, nobody, nobody said anything to either you or Ulai. They just walked straight through. Without, they were kind of embarrassed. It was, first, they was embarrassed. Then everybody absolutely um, didn't want to face our eye, to have any eye contact. Many of us stopped on our feet, which was very painful. So <laughs> there were a few people actually face Ulai, but actually with the body face me. And uh, it was really um, interesting, that lack of contact because they, they could not deal with that approximately of the two naked body, two artists in that way. We, we create very vulnerable situation for the audience and for ourselves. Yes, it's absolutely brilliant conceptual work. But do you, do you think within it, Marina, I mean, I know you say, you know, it's easy, you know, in the 70s, people were taking their clothes off willy-nilly, it was fine. But nevertheless, it's a naked female and a naked male. Do you think people perceive the naked body of, of the gender and make different decisions and respond in a different way. Yeah, they did. But that was not my problem. I, I can give them the work and the, the work can be interpreted in many different ways. It's not my responsibility. But how did you read how they reacted? I never count how many people pay spill, how many people face, face Ulai. <laughs> to me, it was very important that work was done well and to have such a huge impact. And this work we re-perform also in many different museums with the re-performance in performing and we changed the gender. We had now, because it's 21st century, we have two men in the door, we have two women in the door and we have men and female. So we have all these possibilities. Why, why did you change it, Marina, because it's the 21st century? Because the, the all opening to gender is different, you know, and I think it's very important to actually accept 
also possibility to have a two men and two women at the same time and make this kind of choices, which is not made by gender, but is made by the, you know, whatever, look, feeling, smell, intuition, whatever. Yeah. So this issue of, of gender and, and the naked body, Marina Ruiz, uh, what's your reflections on that? Now? It's super interesting because I feel like we're much more used to seeing the naked female body historically. Um, it has depicted in art history, and I think it is something that we have become used to. There have been depictions of the idealized female body, and there are many different artists who have explored this and who have done this in very different ways. So, for example, Jenny Savile, um, we have this amazing little portrait, um, self-portrait, from 1992, which is an incredibly early work. And she had been to Cincinnati the year before and had done some theoretical studies. And actually she she had realized how women had, had been, hadn't been represented in art history as creators as much as um, they should have. And she then started painting the, the year after. And she that's when she creates her incredibly famous paintings um, from the, the 90s, which were then purchased by Charles Saatchi and exhibited in Sensation. This is a little study. It's very similar to the, the heads in Propped and Branded. They use here the use of her body where she's looking at herself, but she's also very fearlessly not idealizing her body. Um, I feel it's super uh, brave, but it's it's quite revolutionary in a way where you know we're used to um to looking at slim and very well-built figures and she's actually enjoying the flesh and just the the kind of just the size of it um and you know this is is just a small detail of of a face um but you can already see the enjoyment in the paint and and the way she's building it up and in the larger portraits, you can obviously see the whole bodies and they, there's so much flesh and so much volume in them that they're amazing. And, and there's been other artists who've done this. So Tracy Emin obviously has used her body throughout her career. And then there's artists uh, like Natalia LL. She was working at a similar time as, as you, Marina, and um, she was actually using her own body to reflect on consumption and how the media viewed the female form as this kind of selling mechanism. So this act of simply eating a banana turns into this hyper-sexualized um, image or, or series of images that are extremely new and, you know, in the 70s. Um, um, so, so it is quite interesting, I think, female artists to explore their own bodies and the female body in relationship to the viewer and uh, to see how the viewer reacts uh, is is fascinating. I knew Natalia personally because she came from uh, the she, from Poland to mm -hmm. Apple Gallery in, uh, in Holland and that performance there and Apple Gallery was at that time the only gallery in all Europe doing performance work. I, I knew Valley Export, I knew Natalia in those days was really great artists working at the same time. As women, was it hard in the in the seventies to be doing things like this? Was it a new thing for the public? Was it viewed differently as your male counterparts? 
I think when you ask this question, Americans, they will tell you a completely different story. If you ask Brit mm. British artists, they will tell you a different story. But I come from communism. I come from ex-Yugoslavia. It was not difficult for me at all. I was a warrior. I was doing this thing, and I was, it was impossible actually doing that in, in, in that time. I was against my, my family, against my professor for art, against my, my, my country. You know, the art criticism, everybody was thinking that's not art at all. So some of my historical pieces that are now part of history at that time was absolutely, you know, put in, it, it was ridiculous. I, I just had this vision that what I'm doing, I'm right. And this gives me strength. So I didn't look it was male or female, although I'm, because it's difficult for what I, I'm female artist to do these things. I've just been doing them. I was like a, like a bulldozer. <laughs> and, and I was only occupied and focused on this. This is the reason I didn't want to have children. This is the reason I didn't want to have family. I just don't want to do the, my work. And regardless, you know, what the male was doing around me. Marina, in those early years, how important was Ulai to the development of you as an artist and how important were you to his development as an artist? But first of all, when I met Ulai, I already had performance art history behind yeah. me. And I was yeah. already working in the museums, working on the festivals, and I was really exploring, going really to the physical mental limits of my work. And when I met him, uh, you know, when I met him, Ulai had a half face painted as a woman and half face as a man. So he was male and female at the same time. It really attracted me very much. And we met on our birthday. And, and we decided to work together because basically I didn't need to be male anymore and female. And he didn't need to be male and female. We could both actually explore our own gender into something we call the third dimension. We call that self. Not female, not male, but like a third element, third existence, which is that self, which is a mix of these two energies. And we explored this in, in, in many performances. So in, in my case, when I met Ulai, my suitcase to come to relationship was performance. His suitcase to come to his relationship was not much performance, but more photography. So we merged these two elements together and we create all this war together till the Great War of China separates us. I remember that. We'll talk about that in a minute. It's a lovely story. But, but let's just talk about light, dark Amsterdam. And it's, it's interesting when you talk about Ulai coming from a photography background because the images you created, they're, they're very sort of powerful. I mean, they're, they're not just the performance, but the actual image. But one of the things which seems to be a consistent of your work, which is in, in this piece as well, is the, is the drama of duration that you, you, you make it uncomfortable for people because you just go on a bit too long. What is, it about, what is it about duration you want to explore? It was very important in our performance, every element and minimality to be minimal as possible. In this case, light dark, we took our bodies like a drummer. We actually was making music, but at the same time we were slapping each other. We both were dressed almost in very similar clothes and we wanted to go as fast as we can go with the slapping till the actually we could not do anymore. And this is the duration was actually the result of, of, of the action. So sometimes the pieces are shorter, sometimes longer, but mostly we like long work. We like to explore the limits of physical and mental body as, as long as we can. And then, you know, to actually open consciousness in, in, in a different way, because these kind of experiences are very profound and every performance actually changes in a certain way. This piece looks so aggressive and so violent, but at the same time, when we finish this work, each of us, because we only slap one side of the face, each of us was like, like literally Eve Klein Blue, 
the faith. We walk on the street totally in love because we didn't have any aggression in our relationship at that time. Everything was in performance. But with, with, that, with that performance, do you encounter that? So you know what's going to happen. You've, you've decided what's going to happen between the two of you. Do, is there a nervousness? Because it, as you say, you want to take it to, to the limits. You want to take it to the point of exhaustion or, or to a point where you don't know how it's going to end. So is that a, a difficult and nervous place to start? The nervousness start before, before performance, before any performance I've been doing, even now, even if I do the lecture, even if I'm talking to you now, I'm incredibly nervous before. But the moment you stand in the front of the public, it's all this nervousness disappear. You enter into another space and time, and you actually, you know, you, you, you leave behind you your little poor self, and you actually perform from your higher self, and that higher self can do anything. And was humor an element of your work, Maria? Because obviously it looks aggressive and it looks a little violent, but I, I know you and, and there, is, there, there is just this little, this little, little seed of humor in everything you do, I think. I, have the, I, I do the humor. There's a lots of, actually, there's some pieces people don't know so much, but there is a piece called Balkan Erotic Epic, which is so funny. I mean, it's really hysterically funny. So sometimes I, when I do very difficult and heavy piece, I need to do something light and, and something funny. And people don't know this aspect of me, but they know me in private life. I'm the, the worst dirty joke teller. I, but right now, because of, the, of this, uh, you know, correctness, I can't say anything anymore. And does it affect art? Uh, you know... I really think that the, the correctness, if you imagine all of what we've been doing in the 70s, right now, in these circumstances where we are now, nothing will be possible. Nothing. I think the incredibly important works of art in the 70s and 80s and 90s, they're not actually possible because of that correctness. It's really actually the, the damage, the creativity in a really bad way. That's extraordinary. So do you think some of your works you would not be able to make today? Never. Absolutely never. It would be it will be immediately abandoned and criticized, whatever, you know. But whatever problems I had in the 70s, I done them anyway. So if I have the idea of the work, no matter what kind of criticism I'll get, I will do it anyway. Because, you know, as an artist, you have to be a warrior. Let's go to Triple uh, A. Do you call it Triple A or do you call it AAA? AAA. So, yeah, AAA. And, and this is a two, the work where you and Ulai scream at each other very close up. And I suppose the question I've got for that within the context of this conversation about female artists is, do you think that when a female artist is making an expressive piece of work, an expressionistic piece of work, a piece of work which is, you know, delivering an emotion, that it gets treated differently than when a, a male artist is making an expressive work of art? Yeah, they do. But it's again the problem with the criticism, really, but not about intention. I mean, this AA piece was really very simple again. We scream in the top of our lungs till one of us lost the voice. And uh, this, and I lost voice for one month. He didn't. That's it. So That's the piece. Because it's you were so screaming harder? No, I, I don't know. If you look the video, you make you make you you make your your comments. I don't want to say anything, but it was very interesting when you scream and you let the voice go. How this voice changed? It was such interesting to observe that in the beginning that is just a voice that you know, and then become the voice you don't know. 
They become the voice of angry child, the voice of, of the of the hysterical voice, the vo the voice of the bird, the voice of the animal. The voice they come into voices that you never actually heard in your life. It's very interesting piece and it's very sculptural. Two voices actually, you know, kind of confronting each other. So, Marina, when you're making these works, are you making them principally for yourself, or are you making them for? An audience, or are you making them for posterity? What, what, what's what's the motivation for them? I never make performance for myself or in a studio without public. For me, the public is essential. All these works are actually made for the public, and the public and the performer actually complete the work together by watching it. And uh, these performances are different ideas of relationship. Uh, you know, the, I, I, as I said before, we are talking about male and female energy and how the male and female energy can be interpreted in many different ways. And we explore all possibilities as being male and female. I've been, I've been in the relationship and being an artist. So we are kind of perfect example of these two genders working together. And part of that working together, of course, is conceiving the idea. Was that something which is, you know, you, 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 you developed together or did one of you have a brainwave and pitch it the other? How did that creative process work? It's very important that we actually never reveal who, from who idea come from. We put the two ideas together and we start very complicated and then we develop simplicity, simplicity, simplicity and how we can say things with very simple things. I mean, this is like, you know, two people screaming, one person sloppy, breathing in and breathing out from each other's mouths. I mean, the pieces are almost sculptures in the space, but they're living sculptures. And, uh, and uh, the work is very important to be seen as a unit and not as a, you know, two different units. One unit, one idea, mixed together. Marina, can we just go back again with your your career and, and this, another underlying theme, I'm thinking about rest energy, which was that extraordinary work where Ulai is holding a bow, an arrow, and you're holding the bow, he's holding the string, the arrow is pointed at your heart. I'm also thinking about um, rhythm zero, and there's this theme, this recurring theme with you of, of, of risk and of violence. Is this about theater? There's no theater. There's nothing theatrical here. There, my heart is real and Iro is real. And if right. you lose the balance, I can be killed. So that's not the theater. In the theater, the, you know, the blood is ketchup and the knife is no real knife. This is all real here. But the important this piece was, you know, when the, the Ulay win ask why is facing, you know, her heart and not his heart. And he answered, this is my heart too. This was his answer. Beautiful answer. Ula is not with us anymore and I would like to say what he said at that time. This piece is extremely short. It's the shortest performance in our life. It's four minutes and 30 seconds. For me, it was lifelong. I, we just had a small microphone on our heart that you can hear the heartbeat and how the heart changed the beat. As adrenaline rushing into our, you know, into our body. But this notion of putting yourself in an incredibly vulnerable position, so you're very vulnerable there. And if we think about rhythm zero, where you have people can do whatever they wish to you, there is a table of items they can pick up. On that table is a gun. On that table is a bullet. Somebody can put a gun in a bullet and shoot you, which very nearly happened. There's a razor they can cut you with. What is What are you exploring with this notion of, of violence. 
But this was, you know, every performance have their history and why it was made. And that's very important yeah. to see the, the background. In this background, I'm 23 years old. I've been so fed up with the, with the public criticism on performance, how this is a masochism, how this is bullshit, how this is not art, and how, the, you know, we are doing all this crazy stuff. So I say, okay, I'm not doing absolutely nothing. I am standing in the gallery still. You have 72 objects on the table with the public and six hours to do whatever you want on me. I take all responsibility, including killing me, because there was a bullet and a, and a pistol. And public, you know, took this advantage. And on the end of the performance, I knew a public could kill. And this was the very big lesson for me. So it was not me doing something. It was public doing to me. So people started polite and then they got worse and worse. Yeah, it was four, six hours of the, of the experience. And, you know, in the beginning, people come, you know, for the opening with their wives. And one reason why I was not raped, because that was there as a normal opening with the wives. But at the same time, the woman will tell the man what to do. And, uh, and they will only take my tears off with a handkerchief. This was my experience in this piece. And it was six hours. I finished too. I, I, you know, this was the piece that you have to put yourself in a state of mind. Otherwise, you know, you could not do it. And I remember when the six hours was over and I, the galleries came to me and they said six hours is over. I started walking towards the public and everybody ran away. Nobody wanted to confront me, me as me. Just they ran away. Yeah. Yeah. And how, how, when somebody loaded that pistol and they did, how yeah, frightening was that? It was very frightening, but at the same time, you know, he, when you're in the performance state, you are you're in a different state of mind, you know, otherwise you could not do it. So I I got frightened later after performance is finished, not during. Okay. The during, after I was trembling. And this yeah. piece was very interesting because this is example of so many years ago that I give the public all the actually rights to do whatever they want. Then came much later on the piece, Artist is Present, where I actually give public only one thing to do, and this is to sit on the chair and engage and gaze with me. And everything else was restricted, but they can stay as long as they want. And this was totally different, different feeling. One was a feeling of aggression, and this was feeling of emotion and, and, uh, and uh, acceptance. Well, you, I mean, the Artist is, is Present is one of the great works of the 21st century, I'd say. Absolutely extraordinary. Thank you. Thank but what was impossible to predict, it must have been impossible for you as well, Marina, is the public reaction. You know, I, Klaus Bisebach, the, the curator, said to me, if you do this piece in New York, nobody have time. Nobody will sit on this chair ever. The chair will be empty. And the chair was never empty. I really did the risk. And I actually, when during the work, I, I understood how incredible your emotional work is and how incredible emotional response of public is. Public was sleeping outside of the museum, waiting to come mm -hmm. in. It was, it was just it, the people, you know, the most interesting to me was the 76 guards, you know, the, the museum guards of the museum, who actually went home, take the uniform on the weekends and come back and wait for me to sit with me. The guards of the museum. Yeah. This was to me like, oh my God, real acceptance that something was seriously going on. Where does that, Marina, where does that come from? Where, where does that emotion come from? Is it, is it coming from you? Is it in the air? Is, is, it, is it ours? I mean, where does it exist? You know, 
first of all, um, you give public possibility to actually have a relation one-to-one, artist one-to-one. But at the same time, the public, when they come to the person who come finally after waiting for a long time to sit on the chair, he is observed by the other public. He's observed by me. He's filmed by the camera. He's, he's photographed. There's nowhere to go except into himself. And the moment you go to himself and, and, and you know, engage and gaze with me, it's incredible. You're so vulnerable. I'm vulnerable. He's vulnerable. And all emotions come out. In New York, is so much loneliness, so much pain, so much, so many things there, and everything comes out. And I make myself vulnerable. And this vulnerability creates trust with the public because they can, mm. you know, open to me, and the public open to me. What a wonderful discussion. What incredible insights to, let's be honest, one of the greatest living artists in the world at present has been present with us. And it's been a thrill, Marina Abramovich. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. And you. It was wonderful. This was Sotheby's Talk Season 1. Thank you for joining us. To step further into the world of Sotheby's, you can visit any of our galleries around the world. They're open to the public. For more information, visit sotheby's.com. And don't forget to follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Season 1, which features conversations with guests including Marina Bramovic, Mary McCartney, Tracy Emin, Paloma Picasso, and Julianne Moore, is now live. <laughs>